we can be still before you. Father, that we can take the time to linger and we can take the time to just stand in your presence. And Father, when we do that, when we surrender all to you, Father, you come and meet us where we are. Father, you love us where we are. You accept us for where we are. Father, your love is perfect and your love is whole and there is no condemnation standing in your presence. So Father, I thank you this morning that we have the chance in our busy, busy lives just to stand here and to linger in your beautiful presence. Father, that we can soak in your love that you have for us. Father, that we can stand here, arms wide open, knowing that you love us for everything we are and for everything that we're not. Father, may we surrender all that we are and all that we have this morning to you. And Father, as we surrender, may you take what we have And Lord, would you use it for your glory in this town and in our community. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. What a beautiful place to be, right? Love it. I could stand there all day. How are we doing? Good, great, good. I um I spoke to Phil yesterday, so that is good. He is um he's tired, to be honest. He's um had 10 speaking engagements over the last few days, and so he is feeling a little bit worse for wear, but he said that it is going well, and so the two fills are, um, they've got church today, they're, I think they've got two services, although their services are long services, um, and then they have a meeting tomorrow, and then they make their way home, and they're back on Thursday, so I, for one, am happy about that, I think Mel's happy about that, it's, um, it's been nearly a month since I've seen my Phil, so it's, um, it's going to be good when he gets home. So, Kit Kats, someone's noticed my Kit Kats. Okay, who can, okay, Kit Kats. Anyone want a Kit Kat? Okay, I have, 
Yeah, I do. I have five to give away this morning. So, who can tell me the theme for this year? Somebody at the back, in the back row. Sorry? Belonging, yes. Thanks, Jamie. Do you want to run those around? Okay, who can tell me? What's that? Only four. Gosh, how did that happen? Who can tell me what our first um, theme for the, the first quarter was? No, that wasn't quite the first one. Bron? No, someone said it. Identity. Yes, Larice. Okay, so identity was our first quarter. What was our second quarter? Yeah, Ashley got it. Covenant connection. Okay, who can tell me what our third one was? Yes, Shirley, empowered and freedom. Okay, and lastly, who can tell me what our last quarter is? Yes. Yes, beautiful, engaged in purpose. So um, this morning I am going to be sharing a little bit on what it is like to be engaged in our purpose. But I wanted to share a picture with you first. Um, I've been traveling a bit lately, and one of the things I brought back with me was a letterboard because I have an addiction to words. Like, I just, I love words. And so I wanted to include my family in this addiction. And so I got myself a letterboard, and you can put, you know, little sayings and quotes and inspirational things on there. And I've put a couple on there, and the kids kind of like roll their eyes and go, Ugh. So I put this one up just last night. Hopefully you can see it. Because there's a couple of words I, I've worked out that will engage my kids. Can you guess which word got them? Yes. And so, but they asked me, they were like, is this in the Bible? And I'm like, actually, yes, it is. And so I've decided that I'm going to use my word board my letterboard as a, um, a tool of engagement to get the kids on board with Bible. So, um, yeah. And I actually <clears throat> discovered there's a lot more verses like that in the Bible. So who knew, right? But this morning, what I do want to look at is I would like to look at five women in the Bible who I believe were engaged in their purpose. These women were not just observers of their own lives, but they took control to make sure that they were engaged in purpose. They stood up for what they believed was right. And because of that, they changed the course of history for the Israelite women. And because of their determination and bravery, they got their names written in the greatest book ever. I, um, I personally, I love these women. Um, so... For me at the moment, I've been doing a chronicle, chronological reading of the Bible, which means that I've been reading it in the order that it was written. And sometimes I think we can, we can read it and we think that it's um, the order that it's in the book, but it's actually not. There's actually a different order. So straight after you read Genesis actually comes the story of Job, which, you know, if you read it in your Bible, is a little bit later on. But in the chronological reading of things... That is what came next. And so I'm on a one-year plan of doing that, and I'm on day 107. 
So I'm just getting through Leviticus and Chronicles and all the laws and genealogies and all those fun things. But one of the books I've read lately is um, Numbers, and I really enjoyed it. And I know I sound surprised when I say that because I'm a bit more of a New Testament girl, but Numbers was fascinating. And so the women I'd like to look at this morning are in the book of Numbers. But before we get to them, I want to just give you a little bit of the history of the book of Numbers because sometimes when we look at a scripture of um, a passage of scripture, we can sometimes take it out of context. If we don't read what's around it, we can um, miss something that, that is in it or we can read something into it. And I don't want to do that this morning. So we're just going to have a little bit of a history lesson um, in the book of Numbers. So the book of Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible, and it starts with the Israelites after their exodus from slavery in Egypt. Uh, God has brought them to Mount Sinai, and there he entered a covenant with them. And despite Israel's rebellion, God graciously provided a way for Israel to live near his holy presence in the tabernacle. So the book of Numbers begins as Israel wraps up their one-year stay at Mount Sinai, and they head out into the wilderness on their way to the land that God had promised to Abraham. Now, the first part of Numbers starts with a census where all the people are numbered. Guess where we got the name from? I know, right? It's kind of cool. Um, so, yes, so that's where we get the, the, the name of the book from. Um, and there, so all the men are numbered, and there are laws about how the tribes of Israel are to be arranged in the camp. So the tabernacle was to be at the center of the camp, and then around the tabernacle you have the priests and the Levites, and the Levites are the ones in charge of taking care of the tabernacle. And then after the, the priests and the Levites, you have the 12 tribes spread around, um, with Judah being at the head of the camp. Um, in chapter 5 of Numbers, we see that the laws were laid out to keep the camp pure. What I discovered in my reading is that there were 600,000 fighting men, and it was only the men that got counted in the census. And so on top of those 600,000 men, we had women and children as well. Um, and according to one of the books that I read, it would have taken 7,680 acres of land to house all the tents for these men. Like, that is huge. And I never, never actually comprehended how huge that it was. You know, when my kids were little, we used to watch VeggieTales all the time. Anyone else? Anyone else still maybe <laughs> do silly songs with Larry? But I remember, I remember VeggieTales with the kids, and I remember um, the story of Joshua. They did like a little mini movie about it, and they had the, you know, the, the Israelites in the wilderness, and I think there were 20 peas, and there was a tomato and an asparagus. And so in my little thinking, I thought, oh, you know, no big deal. It's just, you know, a small camp. But when I read, like, the big Bible, 600,000 men. Like, I don't know about you, but that is a lot of men. Seriously. And then if we add children and women on top of it, it was no small feat. 
in what Moses did. And so with the tribes, whenever the cloud of the, um, of the Lord moved away from the tabernacle, the whole camp moved with it. In chapter 10, we see that they moved from Mount Sinai into the wilderness. And then from chapter 11, things start to go really, really bad as the people start to complain and their story kind of goes from bad to seriously not good. We keep on reading in the book and the Israelites continue to rebel and a whole lot of stuff goes really, really wrong for them. And so God sentences this generation of people to wander the land for 40 years where they will die and it's only their children that will get to see the promised land. In chapter 26, it's, um, it's a great story. We see that um, after a plague of snakes killed off many of the Israelites, God told Moses and Eleazar to take another census. Now, again, in this census, it was only the men that got counted. It was only the men over the age of 20, actually, that got counted because they were of fighting age, so they could fight for the, for the armies of Israel. And so once all these men were counted again, there were 601,730 men. Like, again, a lot of men. Now this part of numbers is important for where we're going to head today. Because then the Lord said to Moses that the land is to be allotted to all those that were counted, meaning just the men. And so the men were going to um, inherit this land based on the number of names. So the larger the tribe, the larger their portion of land. Um, and just to note here that Manasseh, the tribe of Manasseh, were numbered at 52,700 men, and they were the sixth largest tribe out of the 12. So all of that history to get you to the five women that we're going to look at this morning. So if you do have your Bibles, if you could turn to Numbers with me, which is the fourth book, and we're going to be reading Numbers 27 from verse 1. Yell out at me when you've got it. Yell out at me if you haven't. All righty. The daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hepha, the son of Gilead, the son of Makar, the son of Manasseh, belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. The names of his daughters were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza. They approached the entrance to the tent of meetings, and they stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders, and the whole assembly. And they said, Our father has died in the desert. He was not among Korah's followers who bandied together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin, and he left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son. Give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought the case before the Lord, and the Lord said to him, What Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance amongst their father's relatives and turn their father's inheritance over to them. Say to the Israelites, 
If a man dies and leaves no son, turn his inheritance over to his daughter. If he has no daughter, give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father had no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan, that he may possess it. This is to be a legal requirement for the Israelites, as the Lord commanded Moses. You know, sometimes it's easy to skim read these verses and not think anything of it. You know, you could easily just read that and go, oh, that was nice. You know, good on them. They stood up for themselves. And, you know, there's plenty of other more famous verses and numbers that we could look at. And yes, these women did stand up for themselves. But, you know, it was actually so much more than that. There is so much more to their story if we go digging for the gold that God has hidden in it for us. These are five remarkable women. There are so, 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 so many lessons that we can learn from these five women. But this morning, we're just going to keep it short, and we're going to look at three. Three lessons that we can learn from these women and that we can apply to our lives today. Keeping in mind our theme for this term, which is... Again? Thank you, Jamie. Engaged in purpose. Yes. Okay. So the first thing that we can learn from the daughters is that they had faith. Now, the Bible doesn't say how old these young women were, but they were probably fairly young because back in the time that they approached Moses, they were unmarried. And women in the Old Testament generally got married around the age of 14 or 15. And so it is probable that the oldest daughter was probably around this age, probably maybe even younger. And it is also likely that these daughters were born um, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. These were single women. It would have been so easy for them to play the victim card, to mope around about being orphans and telling everyone their problems and that they had no brothers and they had no land. They could have gone from tent to tent complaining. They could have rushed into marriage to solve their problems, but they didn't. These were noble, godly women who from an early, early age trusted that God would provide for them. And they were willing to courageously step out of their comfort zone and see this happen. They trusted the leadership of Moses and they trusted God to be gracious and just. So what about for us? Do we have this kind of faith? You know, I know for me personally, sometimes I'm tempted to talk about my, my fears and my struggles and complain to friends rather than actually taking it to God and being proactive about it. It's so much easier to whinge and complain to friends and to avoid things than to face them head on. But I've learned that we mustn't run from things that are hard, especially when we know we're doing what is right. Sometimes we don't like hard. I know that I really don't sometimes. But I also know that when I do the hard stuff, God is always there. And the fruit that comes from hard 
is way, way, way better than the fruit that comes from easy or avoidance. These women had faith and they faced their situation head on, not talking to others about it, but taking it straight to the right person. These women had faith in God's promise of a land to come. This land that these women were asking for, they'd never seen it. In chapter 26, the promised land was being divided among the people, although not one of them had seen it yet. The generation that went before them were fearful about entering the promised land, and as a consequence, they all died in the wilderness, and they did not get to enter it. But the daughters of Zelophehad, they believed in a land to come. They believed it was good, and they wanted an inheritance there, even though they hadn't seen it. You know, when I was reading the story, I, I wondered if as sisters, you know, they gathered together in their tent and because they were teens and tweens, they probably giggled and they talked about what it might look like. They talked about how different their lives could be. They talked about greater days to come. They believed that it would be great and so they fought for it. Despite what their circumstances looked like, they decided to fight. And I guess my question, one of my questions for you this morning is, what are you fighting for? Are you even fighting for anything? You know, when I think of fighting for me personally, for things I've not yet seen, I think of, um, I think of Daughters of the King. Like I know this is something that God has given me, and he's given me small glimpses of things that are to come, but I haven't seen it all yet, and so it's hard. You know, some days the enemy whispers in my ear, what are you doing? You know, why do you think that you can make a difference in, in, in the lives of girls? You know, there are so many girls out there, you can't change them all. Don't you really think that there's someone better out there that could do this a whole lot better than you could? And so what I need to do is I need to fight. I need to fight against the lies of the enemy that would tell me that it's, it's too big and it's too hard and I'm not the right girl to do it. And I need to hold on to the promises that God has given me, that I can make a difference. And even if it's in one or two or three girls' lives, that's what matters. We need to fight for what we know God has called us to do. We need to hold on to the things that we have not yet seen. And I get it, some days it is not easy. But I know that it is worth fighting for, even though I can't see all the fruit yet. I'm sure Zelophehad's daughters had moments of doubt and insecurity in what they were doing. But they were able to look past their present circumstances and they believed in a future. It is easy to look at the circumstances that we are currently in and think, oh well, this is, just, this is just my lot in life. But how many of us have faith to believe in the things we have not yet seen? How many of us have the courage to dream with God? These women had faith that they could be used by God to bring about change. These five women had the courage to approach leaders to make a change. And as a result of their faith, they were given a portion 
just like all the men. They not only gained an inheritance for themselves, but for all women in this situation for generations and generations to come. Again, I would love that kind of faith, that we could imitate these daughters. You know, Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith we cannot please God. These women were young, but they were focused. You know, life had dealt them a really difficult hand, and they'd suffered a huge loss when their father died. And when he died, they lost all their security and probably lost most of their hope. But they didn't let that stop them. In fact, they used it to propel themselves into change. If your circumstances this morning are not great, don't wallow and complain, but let it propel you into a new hope. Because sometimes blessings do not come from safe and secure. Sometimes blessings do not come until we admit that we can't do life without God. Sometimes blessings do not come until we have walked a really painful road. Sometimes blessings don't come until we have prayed hard to God, begging him for that change we so desire. And sometimes blessings do not come until we take a step of faith way outside of our comfort zone and we watch God work through us despite all of our doubts and our fears. Sometimes blessings do not come until we gather the courage to confront something that is wrong, to make it right. And sometimes blessings only come when we take that huge leap of faith. I read this acronym for faith the other day, and I loved it. It says, forsaking all, I trust him. But do you? You know, it's really easy to sit here and look at it back and go, oh, that's really, you know, what a nice saying. But do you trust him? Even when things don't make sense, even when you cannot see your promised land, will you forsake all and trust him? These five sisters, they did that. The second thing that we can learn from these sisters is that they took control of their life. They learned that if you don't ask, you don't get. You know, we might expect that woman hears to Egyptian slavery and then put under a law that frequently favoured men, that they might react by keeping silent, by accepting the rule decreed for them to follow. We might expect women in those days to, to, stay, in, to stay in their tents, to remain out of sight and not go far from their families. And so how was it, and why did Zelophehad's daughters write a new chapter in history? Firstly, they dared to go out from their living place, from their social space, from the destiny that was imposed on them. Who could have that next slide, please? So this is a, um, a picture of the camp, which is probably a little hard to see. But so in the middle, you have the tabernacle, and then you have the priests and the chieftains around that. And then on the outer, you have the Levites. And then again, on the outer, you have all the tribes. And like I said earlier, these tribes were between sort of 40 and 70,000 men per tribe. And you can see the tribe of Manasseh at the top, where 
you know, where these daughters were from. And it is likely that they are even on the outer of the tribe of Manasseh because they didn't have a father, they didn't have fighting brothers, and so they were probably placed to the back of the, the camp of Manasseh. And again, like we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. Like this isn't just like a, a school camp. This is, this is more than 20 peas, okay? This is ginormous. And so together, these five young daughters, they go out of their tent without being called by anyone, which back in the day was not a thing that you did. They probably had to walk past 50,000 of their own men, of their own tribe, to get through the camp of Manasseh, to even get to the Levites, to then walk past all the Levites to get into the middle. This, this was just not done. You know, the, the tabernacle was a place where only high-ranking men congregated. It's the place where the tablets from Sinai rest in the ark. It's a place of holiness and authority. It's a place where women did not have authority and they did not have a voice. I think, I think the priests and the chieftains must have been overwhelmed when they saw such a startling, unprecedented situation of these five young women walking towards them. I would have loved, 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 loved to have seen the look on their faces. But we can, again, we can read these verses and we can th think that it was simple and straightforward. But I'm sure that every one of those daughters had butterflies in her stomach. And I can guarantee you that before they left their tent, there were battles behind closed doors. There would have been discussions and arguments over who was going to be the actual one to do the speak speaking. And I'm sure there would have been doubts and fears and I can guarantee you they would have been second-guessing their decision, probably even as they walked to the tent of meetings. But despite all of that, despite everything against them, they did it anyway. They did not know the outcome, but they believed that they could change things. What I really, really love about these women is that they give us hope. They give us hope that our destiny is not fixed, even when we feel like we have no choice and no hope can be seen. Their brazen determination, despite discouragement, is awesome. It looked as though they had lost everything that they'd ever hoped for when their father had died and there was no male here. But something made these women hope that things could be different. So often, we settle for the status quo. And status quo just means the existing state of affairs. And I believe as Christians that we should never, ever, ever, ever settle for the status quo. I honestly believe it's a tactic of the enemy to keep us where we are, to hold us back, to not let us live in hope, to not live fully in God and to hold us back from all that he has for us. God always has so much more for us if we would just be determined enough to chase after it. God calls us to a life of faith, 
and that is how these girls lived. If we could have the next quote, that'd be awesome. I read this quote the other day, and I fell in love with it, and I'll probably be putting it on my word board. But it says, Do not always be waiting for the big and daring things, for it is often the little things that change the world. And I know what these women did was, like, it was a big thing. It was a, it was a huge thing. But what I'm probably guessing is that it's what happened after they did that, this, that made the real change. You know, again, they didn't just ask for the land and Moses said, yep, here it is, you can have that bit. Like, they were in the wilderness. They were in the desert. They had to walk this out. They had to keep believing and keep hoping and keep dreaming that what they were given was actually going to be theirs. It was the stuff that they did afterwards that really, I think, probably made the difference for them. And I wore this T-shirt this morning, as you can see, and I wore it on purpose. If you can't read it, it says, Adventure Awaits. And I don't know about you, but I love adventure. I... um, a couple of weeks ago, I went, um, I went to the States, and it was a really, really amazing time. And I, I brought this T-shirt to wear over there. I wore it on the plane, and I'm like, adventure awaits, and I was just super excited. And I had the most amazing, incredible, God-ordained time. I spent time with one of my closest friends over there, and then I got to go to a conference and hang out with women who just are amazing. And I kind of got home and I thought, oh, maybe I should put my T-shirt away. You know, I've got others. Um, but maybe I should just put it away. And God was like, mm-mm, because adventure still awaits for me. You know, anyone can jump on a plane and, and go have an amazing time. But it's what I do with it now that is going to make the change in my life and for those around me. It's the hard yards that I put in now that is going to bring about change. It is not the jumping on a plane. Anyone can do that. But it's the things that I now do, the the unseen things, the unglamorous things, the things that no one else wants to do, those hard things is going to be what brings change in my world and for my Dot K girls. So I'm wearing my T-shirt. Perhaps this morning you're thinking, that's really nice for you, but I don't do adventure. I would disagree. I firmly believe that God has an adventure for every single one of us. You know, it's not going to look the same. It's going to be different for each one of us. But I know that God has an adventure for you. And I know that you have a part to play in the evangelization, not only of the world, but of our town here. God has called each one of us. And perhaps this morning you didn't realize that you can actually change your situation and your circumstances. Are you willing to be like the sisters and do the uncomfortable? Are you willing to do the small things that will bring about great change? As you spend time with God, And as you dig deep into his word to find the treasure he's hidden for you, you will come to understand that he is so eager to give you way more than you're even willing to ask for. James 4.2 tells us, 
You have not because you did not ask God. As Christians, we have got to be determined to possess all that God has for us. And in some cases, we actually need to fight for what we want. Not everything is going to be handed to us on a silver platter. Sometimes it's hard. But we need to learn to fight, and we need to learn to fight well like these sisters did. So what is it that you are so desperately desiring from God? What is it that you so desperately want but you have not even asked him for? You know, sometimes we don't ask because we don't think we're worthy. And I can tell you now, every single one of you are worthy for everything that God has for you. And he has so much more in store because life is an adventure that we need to go and live. The third lesson that we can learn from these sisters is that we are all called to be leaders. All of us. Every single person in here. You know, it's easy to read passages of Scripture and miss all that God has hidden in it for us. And he doesn't hide stuff to be mean. He hides it so that it's a gift. It's like a treasure that he's just waiting for us to discover. You know, these five women, they didn't start out as leaders. In fact, I'm sure they didn't even see themselves as leaders. They started out as orphans. They started out with no hope. And look what they ended up with because of their faith, their courage, and their determination. If we are all to be engaged in our purpose, we need to understand that we are all leaders. It's going to look different for each one of us, but we are all called. Whether it's in your home, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's at school, whether it's amongst your friends, we are all called to lead in some capacity. So here is just a couple of leadership things that I learned as I read more about these daughters. Great leaders are liberators. They don't sit around waiting for others to liberate themselves from challenges that life throws at them. Rather, they confront the challenges themselves. They face them head on. And they not only liberate themselves in this process, but they liberate others along with them. These sisters did not wait for someone to rescue them. They did not wait for one of their tribesmen to rock up on a white steed and say, here I am, I'm going to save you because they knew that it was probably not going to happen. They took matters into their own hands, and because of this, they changed history. We can all be history changers as well. Great leaders, they challenged the status quo. These five women did not accept the status quo that only a man could inherit his father's possessions. Rather, they challenged it. They pretty much said that our father has no sons and so why should his name be erased from his family because of it? That wasn't good enough for them and so they were not going to settle for the status quo. But they did something about it. Another thing about great leaders is that they're not afraid to go where no one has gone before. Prior to this time, no woman had ever stood up to demand an inheritance amongst the men. 
And as far as I know, no woman had gone to the tent of meetings to have her say. But these daughters did not let that stop them. They had a vision and they pursued it regardless of whether anyone had done it before or not. Great leaders are pathfinders. They're trailblazers and they are pace setters. Great leaders fight for a cause bigger than them. For these women, it wasn't all about the inheritance for them. But they knew that it was going to make a difference in generations to come. No more would a woman be unable to inherit, unable to inherit her father's possessions. No more would a man's name die off because he had no sons. Great leaders are change agents, and that's what these women did. Great leaders are bold. These women, they were bold. They stood before Moses and the entire congregation, and they stated their case. I'm sure when they did it, they were nervous as heck, and I bet they had butterflies. But the thing is, they did it anyway. They boldly declared what they wanted. There was no pleading, there was no begging or whinging or trying to win with the crying card. They asked with boldness and they asked with determination. And because of their two minutes of crazy boldness, history was changed. Two minutes of crazy boldness is all it takes to change a world. So what about you? Do you have two minutes of crazy boldness in you? I heard a yes. I like it. Awesome. Great leaders are an inspiration to other leaders. You know, the more I studied these five women, the more I fell in love with them, and they just, they continue to inspire me. I read in one commentary that they were called God-ordained troublemakers because they didn't settle for the status quo. I personally love that. I think this is where my little rebellious side comes out again. But doesn't that sound like fun? Don't you want to be a God-ordained troublemaker? Like, seriously, I want to be a God-ordained troublemaker. It sounds so much better than setting, settling for the status quo. You know, I'm not happy to settle for anything less than all God has got for me. And I'm not happy to settle for a life half-lived. It doesn't mean that these women were reckless, and it doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want. You know, we read a little further on in Numbers that the daughters agreed to marry within their tribe so that, so that the inheritance would stay within their tribe. And so even though they were granted their request, there were still boundaries around their freedom. It's the same for us. Yes, we can all be God-ordained troublemakers, but that doesn't mean that we are reckless and that we do whatever we want. It still means that we come under leadership, and it still means that we have a God that we are accountable to. But it also means that we can have some fun along the way, which I personally, I'm all in for. Um, just a side note at this point, that all of the sisters did end up marrying within the tribe. So they inherited their land, they got married, and everyone wins. I think for me, one of the biggest lessons I get from these daughters is that 
begging and pleading and whinging and crying is not going to change my circumstances. I personally know that for a fact. I did that for many, many years. I did it well. I had it down to an art, but it didn't actually change my circumstances. And so for me, what I get out of this story is that these daughters came before the right person. They came with determination. They came with boldness. And they came with a knowing that things could be different, that even though their circumstances would tell them otherwise, there was hope for them. And I really believe that that is a key to breakthrough, is that we come before God with quiet determination and boldness, knowing that he has so much more in store for us. And so this morning as I, as I wrap up, if you were to be engaged in purpose, what would that look like for you? If you were to be like these five women in just one area of your life, what would that look like? What out of these three lessons, the fact that they had faith, that they took control of their lives and that they were leaders, what is it for you this morning that really stands out? What area of your life would you break free from? What circumstances would you change if you had two minutes of crazy boldness and stepped out and did something crazy? What is it this morning that you haven't asked God for? For whatever reason, because you're not worthy or because you're happy to settle for the status quo, what is it that God would say, just ask, please? Just ask me, because he is a good, good God, and he is an amazing father who wants to give us way more than we can even begin to imagine. What crazy idea has God given you that you need to pursue? So as I close this morning, I'd like to pray for us. I'd like to pray boldly and with confidence that we would be God-ordained troublemakers, that we would not settle for the status quo, that we would not accept our lot in life, but that we would know that God has so much more for every single one of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can come before you. Father, that we don't need to come begging and pleading and whinging. But Father, that we can come before you with a boldness and a confidence, knowing, knowing that you have amazing things in store for us. Father, this morning I, I ask for bold courageous people that would stand up and say, God, here I am. Pick me. God, there is so much more of you that I want to discover. Father, I pray that people would stand and they would say, yes, pick me for adventure. God, I want to be a God-ordained troublemaker. Father, I want to live within your boundaries, but I want to have some fun along the way. 
As a church, can I get you to stand this morning? I know that there are some of you this morning that want to be God-ordained troublemakers, and that's okay. It is not a bad thing. Actually, it's a really good thing. I know some of you are stuck in circumstances. I know some of you are stuck in situations that you would really not want to be in. But I also know that God is calling you out of that place. He's calling you to a life of adventure with Him within His boundaries, within His boundaries of love and grace and providence over our lives. And so if anything I've said to you has resonated this morning, I would love to pray with you. We've got a team of people that would love to pray with you. You know, sometimes we just need to take that bold step, move out of our pew, and allow God to do what he wants to do.